The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Well, this past week, I read a true story about a first grade teacher. It was the first day of school, and she had a little boy, Ryan, in her first grade class, and it was lunchtime, and Ryan was packing up all his belongings, and she said, Ryan, what are you doing? And he said, well, teacher, it's lunchtime. I'm going home. My day's done. And she said, oh, no, no, Ryan, you're in first grade now. In kindergarten, you used to go home after, when it was lunchtime, but now you're in first grade. You stay, you eat lunch at school, and then you've got another couple hours to be in class in the afternoon as well. Well, Ryan was furious. He stomps his foot on the ground, puts his hand on his hips, and he says, this is crazy. Who signed me up for this program? <laughs> Have you ever had that moment like that in your life, sort of that deer-in-the-headlight look? I had one of those moments. I remember it distinctly like it was just yesterday. My wife and I have four children, but our first child, when he was born, I remember, you know, that was back when you spent a couple days in the hospital with your child. And So after a couple days in the hospital, Jan and I took our oldest son and we put him in the back car seat in our car as we left that downtown Toronto hospital, Mount Sinai hospital, and I load my son into his car seat, and as I'm buckling it in, I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. Almost like I felt like I was stealing a child. Like, do they know that we have no idea what we're doing? I mean, I can't keep a plant alive, and you're giving me a human being? I remember being scared, like, this, there's something wrong here. Something's not right. What am I supposed to do now? Well, Jan and I, more her than I, I have to acknowledge, learned that there are some very basic yet vitally important things you need to do when it comes to raising a child. And if you can kind of make sure that you're doing those very basic few things, the rest of it really takes care of itself. Over the years, I've noticed that many of us respond to our relationship with God the way I responded to my relationship with my firstborn. We start off excited, but then it soon hits us. Okay, what am I supposed to do now? I mean, I have this newborn faith in Christ, but what now? How do I care for? How do I nurture this faith? What does it take to see my faith grow? Now, sadly... Some people never answer that question. Some people never learn how to grow their faith in Christ. So one of the following things invariably happens. The first option is that their faith remains small and fragile and frail. Now their faith may be 20, 30, 50 years old, yet it remains in the infant stage. Their faith never leaves the stroller. Their faith never actually learns to walk, let alone run. And believe it or not, that's actually the best case scenario. Because the other option for those who never learn how to grow their faith is death. Their faith slowly weakens and withers until one day their faith no longer has a heartbeat. Things that are not properly nurtured will not grow, and we ought not to be surprised when they die. So what's the key to having a living faith? What's involved in the basic care and nurture of our faith? Are there some prescribed activities 
that I can engage in that will guarantee that my faith will be strengthened and grow? Well, actually, there are. And we're going to spend the next 25 minutes unpacking them in a meaningful and I hope a memorable way. Our staff here at Broadway Church studied this question for quite a while. We read books on the subject. We pondered the issue. And we ultimately arrived at an incredibly simple, yet I think effective strategy for growth. In fact, we are so convinced of the biblical and practical strength of the strategy that we can say this. If you do your best to include uh, these three simple activities we're about to unpack in your daily routine, you will be guaranteed to grow towards becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I acknowledge that there'll be some days that are better than others. In fact, you may uh, line up a few days in a row where you don't do any of these practices. Understood. We all have seasons like that. But on average, over your lifetime, if you will do your best to practice these three daily activities, I guarantee you that you will grow into a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So let's get right to it. What are these three simple activities? Now, I said a moment ago that we try to package this information in a meaningful and memorable way. Well, how have we done that? The three simple activities necessary to grow actually spell, wait for it, grow. Could it be any simpler than this? Now, the more astute among us are probably thinking to themselves, hold on, Darren, time out. Didn't you teach on this grow principle like a year or so ago? I did then what are we paying you for? Are you recycling sermons here, Darren? (laughs) Listen, when writing to those under his care, the apostle Peter said this in 2 Peter 1 verse 12. He said, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and you're firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Peter's saying, listen, I have a role as as a teacher. He says, and my role is to make sure you are equipped to grow as a follower of Jesus. As long as I'm in this body, that's my role. And he says, there are some things, there are some key topics, some key issues that I would be wise to revisit now and then, even though you know them already, but I'm going to revisit them. I'm going to top it up in your mind and in your heart because they're crucial issues. Well, that's what we're doing today. Today, we're refreshing our memories about a vital truth, a truth that can mean the difference between a growing faith and a faith that slowly dies. So what's the key to nurturing a living and growing walk with God? Well, first of all, the letter G in grow stands for give. Somehow, in some way, invest a portion of your time, talents, and treasures for the betterment of someone around you. Jesus knew he was about to have his last meal on the last evening he would have with his disciples before he would be arrested and killed. Jesus knew this would be his last opportunity to impact his followers before his death. If you knew you were about to have your last opportunity to teach with those that you love the most, would you make certain that your topic was important? I think you would, and I think Jesus did as well. So what did Jesus choose as his farewell message? He chose to demonstrate the importance of giving, of giving your life to serve others. 
And he did it by doing something symbolic. He did it by doing something that was reserved for the lowliest of servants in that first century culture. He did it by washing his disciples' feet. Now, this is an art that's kind of lost, of course, in our society because we don't really need to do it. But in first century Palestine, you walked with sandals, dry, dusty, dirty roads in the hot Mediterranean sun. And so when you came, to, you came into a home, what they would do is they would have a servant. And this is the lowest level, entry-level job here. And their job would be to take, kneel at your feet, to wash your feet with some cool water, and then maybe rub them with a bit of oil to soothe them and cool them and to... to give them a nice fragrance. Well, in the upper room, as the disciples came into this room, there was nobody at the door to wash their feet. It's almost like Jesus was doing a little test. No one's at the door. He's thinking to himself, is any one of my disciples going to offer to be the foot washer? Nobody did. Nobody stepped up or kneeled down, I should say. And so what they did was then they just all went around the table. Now, when they sat around the table for this Passover meal, you didn't sit at chairs like this or like in the picture that Da Vinci did where they're all posing for the camera, you know, it's not that. They would lay, they would lounge on their arm, and their, their feet would go out here, and so your head would be beside someone else's feet. Stinky feet. Because they weren't washed at the door. But they were all too proud to do this role. So as they're all lounging there, Jesus steps up, and he does what all of them refuse to do. You read it in John chapter 13. After he washed their feet, it says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, so he had removed his top tunic and just wrapped a garment around him, and he returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's counterintuitive, but that's how God's kingdom often operates. The way to better yourself is by working for the betterment of others. The way to move your life forward is to ensure that you are helping those around you to move forward. Do you want to grow? Then give. Somehow, in some way, invest a portion of your time, talents, or treasures for the betterment of someone around you every day. Now, what does this look like in practical terms? Well, it depends on the day. It depends on the circumstances. Giving operates on a continuum. It works on a spectrum. For example, on one end of the spectrum is the systematic aspect. And on the other end of the spectrum is spontaneous aspect of giving. Systematic, spontaneous. Now, on the systematic end of the spectrum of giving, this represents giving opportunities that I intentionally put on my calendar. I plan for them ahead of time. Scheduled withdrawal of funds for church or charities of my choosing. For example, my wife and I, we don't put money in the offering bag as it goes around. Why not? Don't you give? Well, we absolutely do. We actually have a direct withdrawal from our bank account directly into Broadway Church account. It's already a direct withdrawal. It's there. It's planned. It's systematic. Or scheduled volunteering appointments for church or community services. You say, put my name on the list to serve in children's ministry. Or put my name on a list to host a small group. Sign me up to serve at Food for Families or Club Freedom or Coldest Night of the Year. 
or sign me up to be a big brother or a big sister or to coach a soccer team in my community. These are planned, systematic giving moments in a person's life. Now, on the other end of the spectrum are spontaneous giving moments. These represent the unplanned, unexpected, the spontaneous opportunities to give that come across our paths. For example, you give to a special offering on a Sunday, above and beyond your systematic, planned, regular giving. We had that opportunity last week. We had some special guests, Kevin and Julia Garrett, and they spoke about their uh, time in China. And we gave you a spontaneous opportunity to give because everything that they had was taken from them. And so we said, let's help them start again, uh, start their life over again in Canada. And you folks spontaneously give. And so far, the report to me is, just last Sunday alone, you've already given $25,000 to them. That was a spontaneous moment of giving. Or you randomly shovel the snow on your neighbor's driveway. Or you see people moving in next door to you, so you offer them a welcome gift. What should a person do to grow into a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Give. It's that simple. It's as simple as washing someone's feet, but it unleashes incredible power in the life of both the giver and the recipient. As your outline says, in fact, intentionally acting in a selfless, sacrificial, and sometimes secretive, meaning you don't publish it, way, not only exercises the life of stewardship and generosity and humility, but it also positions you for a life of eternal reward. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that God sees what we do, and when we give, and when we invest in his kingdom, and invest in the lives of others, God notes it, and he credits it to our account in eternity. When we give for the benefit of someone around us, we not only benefit them in this life, but we also benefit ourselves in the life to come. Okay, are there some prescribed activities that I can engage in that are guaranteed to strengthen and grow my faith in Christ? Absolutely there are. And we're calling it the GROW principle. And the G stands for give. It's as simple as removing snow from someone's driveway or placing some money in someone's pocket. That's, which brings us to the letter R. And the R in GROW stands for read. Read or interact with God's word, the Bible. Now, why is this so important? I mean, why is reading a few sentences or paragraphs from a book so crucial? Because the Bible isn't just any book. Because the Bible has unique power. As you've heard me say before, I grew up in Stratford, Ontario, which is the home of the Shakespearean theater. And I, I had to all through school, we had to study Shakespeare. We had to memorize huge portions from plays of Shakespeare. We studied everything. We'd go to the Shakespearean theater. I dated a girl who worked in the box office of the Shakespearean theater, and I saw every play. <laughs> but she liked it. And so I saw them all, some of them a few times. I say all that to say this, because, you know, you'd walk around down by the Avon River in Stratford where there's tourists from all over the world there reading their, their Shakespearean plays, and I never, ever heard anyone in all the couple decades I lived in Stratford, I never heard anyone say, you know something, I used to be a liar and a thief, but then I read Romeo and Juliet, and when I came to that balcony scene, my life changed. I worked as a police chaplain for seven years with the Niagara Regional Police. I worked in prisons and in jails. And in all my years there, I never heard anyone say, you know something, Darren, I was a murderer. And then I read Twelfth Night or Julius Caesar. 
and my life changed. I'm a new man. No one's ever said that to me. But I have heard over the decades, many times have heard people say, you know something? My life was radically changed and instantly changed when I, and I had an encounter with God when I opened up the Bible and began to read. In fact, that's my life. That's my story. When I was 19 years of age, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. But through a, a crisis in my life, I found myself sitting with a Bible in my hand. And I remembered something a Sunday school teacher said to me when I was 12 years old. And I followed her instructions. And I went and found a Bible in our home on a shelf somewhere. And I opened it up. And I began to read from Jeremiah chapter 1. And it was the call of Jeremiah. And as I read that, the Spirit of God spoke to me. And I felt he was speaking to me. And he was calling me to follow him. And I remember closing the Bible, walking out to my parents. My dad was sitting on his chair watching TV, smoking. And, and my mom was sitting there beside him. And I said, Mom and Dad, I think God wants me to be a minister. And I remember my dad looking at me saying, Well, that's good. What is it? What is it about the Word of God, the Bible, that gives it such power? Listen how the Apostle Paul explains it. He says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, what does God-breathed mean? It means the presence of God's Spirit rests upon and dwells within the very words you're reading. Often, when discussing a particular medicine, doctors will talk about the active ingredient. The active ingredient is the specific substance in that medicine that brings about the, the, the desired change. The active ingredient in the medicine is the cause behind the effect. The, the active ingredient in the Bible is God's Spirit. The Bible is God-breathed. That means when you read the Bible... Your soul is interacting with words and concepts that have been soaked and saturated in the Spirit of God. Do you want your body to interact with, with the, the pill's active ingredient? Then you need to do more than just carry that pill. You need to do more than just own the pill. You need to do more than just carry that pill around in your pocket. You need to actually ingest that pill. Do you want to have your faith strengthened and nurtured? then you need to do more than just own a Bible. You need to do more than just carry a Bible around on your phone. You need to actually interact with that Bible, with God's Word. Now, as your outline says, ideally, this means to journal and pray in response to what you've read. So it's more than just reading, as powerful as that is. But ideally, daily, you should journal, write down a response, and pray in response to what you've read. This puts you in daily contact with the Spirit and the Word of God, feeding and fueling your soul with the life-changing presence of God and power of truth. That's why the Apostle Paul went on to say, yes, all scriptures God breathed, he said, and it's useful for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. And he's not talking about rebuking and training and correcting others only, but ourselves as well so that the man, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 4, 4. Man and women, we don't live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Clearly, Jesus considered interacting with the Bible to be as important to survival as interacting with food. By the way, that's why we've designed something here at Broadway we call the Steps Journal. 
If you don't have a way already of interacting daily with God's word, pick up a steps journal in, in our lobby at the, either the, at the, infor, go to the information desk. Uh, they might be available as well at the Automated Giving Center. I'm not sure. Start at the information desk and say, I'd like to purchase a steps journal. I think they're $5, something like that. And it's a great way to interact daily with God's Word. It'll give you some suggested portions to read. gives you a line, pages that you can journal on and write down your thoughts. Pick up a steps journal. It'll help you take that next step in your daily walk with God. Okay, let's do a quick review. Today we're answering a profound question. What is involved in the basic care and nurture of my faith? What exactly do I need to do in order to maintain my relationship with God? Are there some prescribed activities that I can engage in that are guaranteed to strengthen and grow my relationship with God? Well, we're claiming that there are. First, we need to give. Somehow, in some way, invest a portion of your time, talents, and treasures for the betterment of someone around you. Secondly, we need to read. We need to interact with God's Word. Ideally, this means to read and then journal and pray in response to what you've read. That puts you in daily contact with the Spirit and the Word of God, feeding, fueling your soul to the life-changing presence of God and the power of truth. Now, I said at the beginning that I was going to provide you with three simple activities, and I said these three simple activities would spell the word grow. Well, we've used up the letter G, and we used up the letter R. That leaves us with ow. What possible activity that leads to growth can be represented by ow? How about the one activity that causes the most pain in the minds of Christ followers? Evangelism. The ow stands for opportunity to witness. Meaning, somehow, in some way, testify to someone of God's presence and activity in your life. Now, let's face it. Few things bring as much fear into the minds of Christians as the thought of sharing your faith with those around you. We all know of situations that put the owl in the opportunity to witness. Maybe you've been on the giving or receiving ends of one of these owl moments where the person or you were rude or aggressive or it was embarrassing. I've been on both sides of that equation. Listen, would you like to know how to share your faith in a way that is completely relaxed and natural? Would you like to know how to take advantage of an opportunity to witness in a way that is sensitive and sensible? Well, I've got good news when it comes to sharing good news. It doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to feel intrusive. Listen to the advice the Apostle Paul gave in a letter he wrote to a church in ancient city of Colossae 2,000 years ago. He said this, recorded in Colossians chapter 4. He said, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, outsiders in this context is referring to people who are outside the faith. Paul says, when you are interacting with such people, you need to be wise in the way you act. Okay, well, how do you do that? When it comes to opportunities to witness, when it comes to opportunities to share your faith, what does a wise approach look like? Paul gives us a couple tips right here. He says, well, first of all, make the most of every opportunity. Think about this. Whether you realize it or not, every conversation you have ever had 
follows the same basic dynamic. You listen to what others are saying around you. And then, if you're polite, you wait until you have something that you feel might add to the pool of meaning, something that might contribute to the discussion. And when that moment comes, you jump in and you contribute to the flow. Paul is saying that the same dynamic applies when it comes to sharing your faith. Making the most of every opportunity means you are tuned in to the moments in your daily interactions when your faith experience might add some value to what's going on around you. Making the most of every opportunity means you are dialed into those moments when your knowledge about the power that changed you might very well be used to change those around you. Making the most of every opportunity means that you become aware of those moments when what happened to you and within you in the past has direct bearing on what is happening to those around you in the present. It's simply being aware of those moments when your faith has something to add to the conversation. And how does one wisely approach a moment like that? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, a wise faith conversation is always full of grace and it's seasoned with salt. Always full of grace means it's never aggressive, it never is harsh, it's never condemning. Guy walks into a pet stop, st- store and he sees a parrot in the cage and the parrot has a, a red string attached to its right leg and a blue string attached to its left leg. And so the guy says to the parrot, owner and the shop owner says what is with the parrot with the strings on its leg and the owner says oh buddy listen that is just not any parrot that's an incredible parrot he says when you pull the the string on his right leg he speaks french (laughs) when you pull the string on his left leg he speaks german the guy says no way he says what happens if i pull both strings at the same time the parrot shouts i fall off my perch you idiot Sometimes we can be like that parrot. Sometimes we can be too aggressive even when we're speaking the truth. I know I failed at this many times. I love to debate. And when I feel I've got somebody cornered, I, I can unwisely just pin them to the wall and make them realize how wrong they really are. But I've learned over the years, when I'm shouting my faith, I'm not actually sharing my faith. I love you! And God loves you! Sorry for waking some of you up. (laughs) Are you feeling the love, though? When I'm shouting, I might very well be telling you the truth, but what I am saying is being destroyed by how I'm saying it. According to the Apostle Paul, a wise faith conversation is always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, what does seasoned with salt mean? Well, this is where we can learn a key lesson from that famous theologian, Ronald McDonald. Ronald is going to tell us and teach us a very crucial lesson when it comes to sharing our faith. What I have... Mm. Two fries. And some salt. Now... We've got these fries. I know some of you, Darren, it's after lunch already and you're doing this seriously. Oops. So I've got just a pinch of salt on this one, just enough to season it. 
He's got that option. And then I've got this option. Just sprinkle a bit and then just... <laughs> All right then. Which of these two options do you think will be tastier? And which of them will send you to the hospital? Clear, it's obvious which would be better, right? There's really no mystery here. Well, Paul is saying, when it comes to opportunities to share your faith experience, the wise person treats their faith like they treat their salt. They don't dump, they sprinkle. Just a seasoning. Just enough to touch the taste buds and to whet the appetite. Paul is describing a sensitive and sensible approach to sharing one's faith. Paul is saying, somehow, in some way, testify to someone of God's presence and power in your life, and activity in your life. You say, okay, Darren, practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, it depends upon the situation. It can be as subtle, oh, there's a French fry. It can be as subtle as having a conversation over lunch with a coworker, and just dropping into the conversation in a relevant time, something like this. You know something? My pastor just talked about this the other day in church. And then you briefly share a snippet, an insight, and you move on. That is seasoning a conversation with salt. Or it can be as gentle as saying to a coworker or a friend who's facing some crisis, I want you to know, I'm going to be praying for you. That is a conversation seasoned with salt. It could be as simple as tweeting or posting on Instagram or a one-sentence Facebook status that simply says, I am thankful for God's presence and activity in my life today. That is a conversation seasoned with salt. Those are all examples of a person being wise in the way that they act towards outsiders. These are all examples of a person making the most of every opportunity. These are all examples of a person ensuring that their conversation is full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, someone, I'm without a doubt, is sitting there right now and you're thinking to yourself, oh, come on, Darren, really now? I mean, what good is this really going to do? A little sprinkling? What possible difference can a sprinkled comment change in, when it comes to the direction of someone's life? That's a fair question. Can a sprinkled comment really make an impact in someone's life? It can. I know it can because it happened to me. When I was about 15, 16 years old, I was baptized, but I became a follower of Jesus when I was 19. So I went through this baptismal ceremony. I won't get into the details, but it's sort of a family thing we did, a ritual that we did together. Very well-meaning, but as I look back, I, I had no relationship with God. I had no interest in God. I had no relationship with Christ, no interest in Christ. But I went through the hoops that our family went through out of respect. A year or so later, about the same time, just after this, I was in an English class in Stratford talking about some Shakespearean play, I'm sure, and we're sitting in a small group talking, and one of the guys in the group, I still remember his name, his name was Graham, and somehow the conversation got to baptism. I have no idea how or why. And as we're talking about baptism, I said, well, I've been baptized, and Graham said this. I can still point to where he was sitting at the table. He said, yeah, but did it mean anything? And then we went on to a different conversation. That was like a nuclear device exploded in my spirit. Did it mean anything? Did it mean anything? And for the next couple of years, that would come back to my mind every now and then. But did it mean anything? 
God used that comment to move me forward in my journey towards Christ. When you are sensitive for an opportunity to witness, as your outline says, this not only strengthens and emboldens your faith, but it also gives the Spirit of God daily opportunity to stir hearts and spark conversations of eternal impact. That's what Graham's comment did in my life. Listen, what's going on in the heart of the person beside you or behind you or in front of you right now? What's going on deep within them? What are their questions? What are their struggles? What are their fears? The last time they called out to God, what did they ask for? What did they need at the very core of their being? Do you know? Of course you don't know, but God knows. And when we wisely make the most of every opportunity, when we drop into a conversation a relevant uh, comment that's full of grace and seasoned with salt, we give God something to work with. We step into the arena. We step onto the playing field. We place ourselves at God's disposal. And we allow God's spirit to guide things from there. Well, let me conclude. The mission of Broadway Church is to produce fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And our our logo is those concentric circles. We're going to talk more about that next week. But essentially, we take people who are, you know, unfamiliar with Christ, exploring Christ, beginning in Christ, growing in Christ, centered in Christ. Wherever they are in that journey, we as a congregation seek to come alongside them and help them take the next step towards Christ-centeredness. How does one grow in their relationship with Christ? It's simple. You give, you read, and you look for an opportunity to witness. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, Darren, where's the big idea? Every week we have a big idea. There's no big idea. You're panicking. Listen, yes, every week we have a big idea, but this week I didn't want to dilute the teaching. I thought a big idea would kind of distract you other than this. The big idea is the word grow. For the rest of your life, whenever you see the word grow, I want you to think, oh yeah, give, read, opportunity to witness. That's what grow means. It means give, read, opportunity to witness. That's the big idea. What does the G stand for? What's the R? And what's the O-W? Opportunity to witness. Exactly right. That's the big idea. And now I want to conclude with this. I want to take this final moment as my opportunity to witness. See, you're here today, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. So why exactly are you here? You're here because you are searching for the truth. You are exploring You're here because God's Spirit has been working on your heart and in your heart for a long time. Listen, it's no accident that you're here right now. And why not take this concluding moment to make that decision, to cross that line of faith from someone who's exploring Christ, someone who's now beginning in Christ. By accepting his gift that he paid on your behalf. You've been exploring for a while. You know what I'm talking about. Where Jesus came, he died, he rose again from the dead. He paid your moral debt. He got what you deserved. The wages that sin pays is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he offers you this gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And you need to choose to accept it or reject it. Why not take this last moment right now to accept that gift, to begin your journey in Christ, And then give, read, look for opportunities to witness day by day and watch your life grow and be transformed from the inside out into the very person he designed you to be. You can make that decision right now before you leave this. Let's borrow that stick.